0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. We've got other issues that I want to uh, clarify, insofar as uh, legalities are concerned, and that includes, amongst other things, the constitutional challenges uh, that are anticipated when it comes to these new roadside sobriety tests that were introduced earlier this week. As you might recall, we've been all over that. Here to help me in that regard and with other matters, Joe Newberger, six forty legal expert with Newberger and Partners. Joe, how's it going this afternoon?
1: I'm great, John. How
0: are you? Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. But I'm curious, and uh, you know, I've been wondering since we, and we've talked a lot about this with the uh, new roadside sobriety tests where uh, it's warrantless, uh, meaning it doesn't require a warrant. Uh, There's no probable cause necessary. You can just uh, be stopped lawfully, it says. By the way, what does that mean, stopped lawfully? That's really open to interpretation, isn't it?
1: It is, and you know what, it it's such a silly argument by the police because the Highway Traffic Act allows the police to stop vehicles for sobriety purposes. So they can check for sobriety, and, you know, there's, it's, it's very easy for officers to stop vehicles for a number of reasons. The main issue here is, once a vehicle is stopped, what is the legality to allow them to obtain a body sample? And what we have seen now through this legislation is a shift to eliminating any type of evidentiary basis for the officers to achieve to then invade the bodily integrity of the individual they stop. And that is a concern to many in this country, and particularly
0: me. All right, well, here you go. As the lawyer now, if uh, you had a client who was stopped that way and uh, whatever the outcome how would you challenge this constitutionally, uh, and how would you proceed on that basis?
1: Well, we're, we're probably geared up for this because we're gonna ha- we have clients, and, and it's going to happen very soon. The issue will be is somebody will be stopped, and the police will say, we're just checking sobriety, sir, please step out of your car. We'd like to have a, a roadside sample, and the person will be confused because they may not have been drinking and the officer will have no evidentiary basis. So let's explain this to the listeners a little bit. The prior law was that an officer needed a reasonable suspicion, so they needed some evidence. It was a very low threshold. It's like literally jumping over a baseboard. An odor of alcohol, admission of some consumption of alcohol, some indicative of impairment like red eyes, you're really tired, slow movement, something of that nature to give the officer a reasonable suspicion not reasonable grounds a reasonable suspicion so it's very low threshold now that's gone there's no evidentiary basis so you are at the mercy of a police officer at the roadside for the officer to make a decision as to whether he wants or she wants a sample from you and it's a search and seizure of somebody's bodily fluids and it can also be a bridge point to a search of a vehicle so the concerns now are not just simply the breast sample, but then a search beyond that, and will it disproportionately affect other individuals in an inappropriate way? This is a very significant invasion of our rights to search and seizure and privacy, in my opinion.
0: All right. Uh, And so it would be tested in court, you're saying, imminently or very soon?
1: Very, Absolutely. The first time we have a client who's charged with either failing to provide a sample at the roadside or is charged with uh, an over 80 offense or an impaired offense arising from a roadside breast sample that was compulsory without an evidentiary basis, we will, and I'm sure many other criminal lawyers in this city, and I know the Civil Liberties Association is going to do it as well, will all be challenging those types of uh, findings because it's inappropriate and it violates our clients' constitutional rights. And citizens should be worried about this because this does not do anything to protect the public from impaired drivers. It was such, I need to emphasize this, and I'm sorry, John, you know me, I go on sometimes too much, but the reality is the threshold originally was so low and was allowed by the courts, but now they've eliminated and they made it mandatory. Just imagine this, at two o'clock in the morning, you're stopped by a police officer, let's say you haven't been drinking, you're a bit tired, the officer's asking for a roadside sample, you have absolutely no right to speak to a lawyer, nothing, you're alone, you and the police officer. And is demanding something of you you may be tired you may be confused you may say why and in minutes you're charged with a failure to provide this is very serious and we have to be careful about erosion of civil liberties for the sake of something that is just really amorphous there is no additional safety of the public established through this type of regime in my opinion
0: joe newberger is with us 640 legal expert with newberger and partners now Somebody made the analogy uh, to me the other day that this was similar to carding, and yet, uh, you know, there were people supportive of carding, and now that uh, this might implicate the broader populace rather than certain uh, identifiable groups, everybody's up in arms about it, and it seems somewhat hypocritical. Is it analogous to carding?
1: You know, here's the issue. If I'm going to be very cynical, and I do believe that our police services try and act in good faith to, to not... Uh, you know, set out individuals because of their color or race or religion. But let's leave that aside for a moment. Let's let's be cynical for a moment. This would be a bridge to a search of a car. You could, you could stop any vehicle you want, ask for a roadside sample, and then based on that, conduct a search. So it could be not only analogous to carting, but even worse. It could disproportionately affect individuals of an identifiable group. And that can be an additional violation, not only of Section 7 of the Charter, but Section 15. It is really a potential quagmire here. This should not have been legislated. The government made a massive mistake by doing this because they introduced marijuana laws without robust abilities to detect persons affected by impairment due to drugs. And they, they, this was a bait and switch, in my opinion, to tell the, tell the public, we're doing more to protect you, even though we legalized marijuana and we, we've got this all under control. So this could be analogous to carding in in many ways and could disproportionately affect identifiable minorities, in my opinion.
0: Well, And that is a concern of folks in the legal profession such as yourself and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. The saliva test, I guess, is uh, the overreach because, you know, you're giving up DNA and some people are even uh, speculating blood blood samples could be next and uh, who knows where this will lead. So uh, going down a rabbit hole. On another matter, Joe, I've got to ask you about uh, the situation at St. Michael's College. Now a seventh student has been charged. uh, Right. Four have been recharged. Serious violations, uh, assault, uh, sexual assault, uh, with a weapon, no less. And uh, then there's the issue, too, of the possession of child porn for anybody who still has this videotape in their possession. Right. I guess I wanted to ask, what typically would happen to, because these are 14- and 15-year-olds, we're told, uh, what typically would happen to them with these severe types of uh, charges uh, if they were found to be guilty?
1: Well, the good luck for them is they're 14 and 15. So the Youth Criminal Justice Act provides a very robust regime to allow creative sanctions for these individuals and good rehabilitative programming so that they are not subjected to severe penalties and they can look at how to address the issue, but also, you know, instill some responsibility, understand the severity of their actions, and do this in a more holistic manner. That's the benefits of the Youth Criminal Justice Act, because we're dealing with still children. Look, I know this is extremely serious, and the victims in this case will be affected by this for years to come. But we are also, the perpetrators are also very young, and their children as well. And the beauty about the system that we have in place is that we recognize that people of 14, 15, and even 16 years of age are still children with underdeveloped maturity. Their, their brains haven't developed to the point of rationality. We all know this if we have teenagers as children. And so there's varying ways that we can instill in them responsibility, put them into remedial programming, have punitive measures in place, and it's not the same as if they were an adult. Nevertheless, it will be treated very seriously. And as you and I discussed before, the culture of this type of activity is not something which is unknown. It's gone on in fraternities, NCAA uh, teams, and I'm sure in other teams across Canada. So we need to change the culture and the mindset, and this type of case will bring forward, you know a good discussion about how we treat individuals on teams and how we need to change the mindset of people on the teams and how they initiate individuals into these teams.
0: Just so we're understanding clearly, though, uh, because the hazing thing has been a phenomenon since time immemorial, uh, immemorial. you know, so if somebody is actually held down against their will or even, you know, uh, resisting and somebody decides to shave them in whole or in part, that constitutes an assault.
1: Absolutely correct. And you're right. It is time immemorial. This has been in place for a long time, fraternities, sports teams, etc. And people have to understand. A forced touching of any kind is an assault, and if it's sexual in nature, it's a sexual assault. It's extremely serious and a violation of somebody's bodily integrity, and it can have a disproportionate effect as well on their psychology going forward. And I remember hearing from one individual with the St. Mike's who was much, much older. who was an alumni who was interviewed, and having listened to all this, it brought him back to his time when he was playing on a sports team. So it can have an effect that goes on for decades.
0: All right, well, uh, we're going to watch this one with interest, needless to say, and uh, the possession of child porn, too, and that has to be re-emphasized. Anybody, the police are telling anybody who's still got a copy of this, you best ditch it. Otherwise, uh, you could be found in possession, and there are serious consequences.
1: You're absolutely right. Any video of these types of acts has to be deleted, cannot be distributed. It is child pornography. It is a serious crime and must be dealt with.
0: Joe, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate your time and uh, wish you the best this holiday season.
1: John, happy and healthy holidays. Be well. Look forward to speaking to you in 2019.
0: Fair enough. Likewise. Thank you. Joseph Newberger, 640 Legal Expert with Newberger and Partners. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.